All right, well, last week I had mentioned to you that uh, I saw that shirt from some guy that said, I can do all things uh, through a verse taken out of context. And today we're going to be talking about bringing our requests to God. And because of human nature, we think that we can get anything we want from God by a verse taken out of context. And, and uh, I think this is a classic uh, passage of Scripture that people oftentimes come into and they isolate it from the, uh, the rest of the context of Scripture and they treat God like he has to give them whatever they want because he's promised to give. And uh, we're, we're nuts, by the way. Uh, so we want to talk about that today. Uh, this whole section here is, is interesting. Uh, it's good. Uh, in the verse, Jesus gives us a command that is then associated with his promise, of course, and, and, and then the last few verses, he gives his rationale for uh, why he would do such a thing for us. So why don't we stand, and I'll read the word of God to you, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew 7, picking it up in verse 7. Jesus says to his audience, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or, or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or, if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, that is in there because um, of my subheading, but I'm not going to cover verse 12 today. I don't think it actually fits in there. I I, I intended to speak to the Nelson publishers about who puts those there but whatever. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we, we thank you always for your word. And I pray that as we look at your instruction and your promise today, that we will abide by, Lord, the, the principle of searching what you uh, meant by what you said and not try to isolate your words from what you've said elsewhere in your word so that we can essentially use you to secure our own ends. And so help us to honor you this morning. Help us to hear your voice. And Lord, help us in this whole issue of prayer. So Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, go ahead and be seated. Let's get back to verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So here's Jesus' command, ask, seek, knock. Uh, but it is worth uh, noting uh, that all of these verbs were stated in the present tense and in the imperative form. The, the present tense implies that we should keep on asking, that we should keep on seeking, keep on knocking uh, until we receive the petition that we are uh, pursuing. And the imperative means that Jesus insists It's a command that we keep asking, seeking, and knocking in regard to these things. 
So Jesus is calling us in our prayers to be persistent, persistent in the present tense, ongoing. Same petition, he says, until you secure it. Um, you're maybe like me, maybe you're not, but um, I like to ask and move on. But Jesus says, no, no, you're not, that's not what I'm going to honor, don't do that. Uh, he calls us to persistence in our prayer. And I, I think something that we should probably be very interested in is asking the question of why would Jesus want us to be persistent in prayer? Does he want us to annoy him? Because uh, you know that when your children are persistent, that that's kind of annoying. <clears throat> but you don't want your kids to stop petitioning you, right? You don't want that to end. But you want that, you would, you would prefer that, that that persistent petitioning be of a certain character, of a certain nature from your children. <clears throat> and I think that that gives us a clue of what's going on here. Because when we ask God things for things in haste, when we do it impulsively or we do it in passing, it communicates really a lack of consideration for God. It really is belittling to him. It's disrespectful. You know, it's like the child who really wants nothing to do with his parents, but he will use his parents uh, to get what he wants. That's always a pleasure to be around that child. And the only time the parents really see this kid is when he wants something from them that he cannot secure for himself. Well, see, instead of God being loved in the process of our petitions, when we go to him like that, he's just used. He's used to secure our passions, which really is rather gross, isn't it? Just gross. So first and foremost, God desires us, not our petitioning, and God wants us to want him in return. This whole petitioning thing, this whole prayer thing is really a matter of relationship with God. Okay? He has, of course, the potential to grant you anything you want, whenever. Uh, but if he was more like some relationships that parents have with their kids, it would be, hey, can I have this? Yeah, sure, take it off. And that's it. And there's no relationship. But God is not like that. As one insightful preacher put it, he says, complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. He waits to be wanted. That's A.W. Tozer, Pursuit of God in the chapter, The Human Thirst for the Divine. God, when we look through the scriptures, we discover that God loves to give, but he's far more interested in the person that is seeking the gift. God is relational. He doesn't just want to know our petitions, he wants to know the petitioner. Now, of course, he knows us better than we know ourselves, but he wants us to enter into an experience with him, a relationship. So the purpose for the persistence is relational. God wants to enjoy us, he wants us to enjoy him. And I don't think that that's something that we should pass over lightly. I mean, really, what a staggering thought that the creator of the universe, who possesses all power and wisdom is persistently asking for our time. He's knocking on our hearts to invite him in for fellowship. He's perpetually seeking our attention. Give him what he wants. Give him what he wants. Go and enjoy him. And so Jesus says, for whoever, for, I'm sorry, for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. So here's the promise. It's, of course, it's embedded in verse seven, but here it's stated explicitly 
in verse 8, this promise that results from obeying the command. But this passage, this promise, communicates this to everyone who, to everyone who persistently petitions. So it's, it's conditional, isn't it? It's a conditional promise that is realized by diligence, uh, not by the impulsive or the lazy. God is interested in those who are interested in him. If we're not really seeking him, but we're just after what he offers, he's not going to reciprocate that kind of shallowness. He's just not shallow like us. Okay? He won't honor that kind of behavior. The author of Hebrews said it this way. He said, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Him, not what he offers, but him. Both God and what he offers is available to everyone, but he says that these things are enjoyed by those who demonstrate their diligence to know God rather than just secure his benefits. He's, he's not a genie in a bottle who must grant our desires. Although there are groups out there that sort of teach that, that God just has to do it. If you exercise the faith, God is obligated to do it. Okay? But the God is not. He's not like some grandparents who foolishly fall over themselves to give their grandkids anything they want. He's, he's wise, he's loving, and he desires intimacy with his kids. This text teaches that reward flows out of relationship, doesn't it? He rewards those who diligently seek him. So reward flows out of relationship. It's a byproduct of intimacy with, with him. His reward is not for those who seek reward. His reward is for those who seek the rewarder. Um, in hindsight, <clears throat> after walking with Christ for, for more years than I've been alive, uh, A.B. Simpson wrote in his poem, he said, once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. That's great. You know, he realized that, uh, that there was a time in you know, hindsight, looking back at his Christian experience, that he was more interested in God's blessing. He was more interested in what God could give him, more interested in those things than God. But later on in his walk with Christ, he realized that there was nothing that compared to Jesus. And I think that God has a way maybe of kind of teasing us with his rewards, a way of drawing us in. And, and when we're asking and when we're getting, we get exposed to him more. We get a taste of what he's like. And then over time, we're not so distracted by the things that he offers, but we're caught up in him personally. Paul said it like this. He said, but the things that were gained to me, <clears throat> all those things that were to my advantage, you'll have to read the context later. Paul says, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And the Greek word there for knowledge has everything to do with experience. It's experiential knowledge. He's saying my experience with Christ surpasses all things. All the things in this life that were gained to me, they were to my benefit, to my advantage. Things that made me a hero in my culture. Things that made me feel good about myself, as he says in the context. He says these things I've just... I've cast aside, just so that I can enter into that experience with Jesus. Yeah. So this passage, 
as well as our primary text in Matthew. They're personal, they're relational. And I believe that they guard against human presumption, our tendency to want to use God to secure our own desires. And that we have a tendency, I believe, to be like Abraham, who so badly missed the point <laughs> in this whole context. God came to Abraham and said this. I mean, imagine this. <clears throat> Him coming to you and saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your protector. But also, I'm your exceedingly great reward. He's not just a reward. He's a great reward. But he's more than a great reward. He's an exceedingly great reward. But Abraham responds to God in a way that would have been hurtful to any of us. Okay? We would have been offended. But God is just so patient with Abraham, just like he's patient with us. So God says to Abraham, I'm your exceedingly great reward, to which Abraham said, but Lord, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. What will you give me? God just said to Abraham, I'm giving you me. Does Abraham not understand, you know, the gravity of the gift, the, the magnitude of just having God as the reward? Abraham's response, understand, that has a bit of a sting in it. Abraham is like, that's great, but you haven't given me what I want. What about me? What about me? So consumed with what he did not have, he could not see or appreciate God's greatness, God's goodness. But in the story, you know, God grants Abraham's desire, and it was his design and will to do it all along, whether Abraham asked or not. But later on, God says to Abraham, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Genesis 22, 1. Well, if God is not loved by you more than you love anything else, God is at liberty to remove all competing affections to fix your priorities. Yeah. Abraham received Isaac back to himself, but not before things were placed in their proper order. Yeah. He learned an important lesson in a very hurtful way. And you know, for us, if our love for something exceeds our love for God, our love is an idolatrous love. You should love God above all else, all else. It's an idolatrous love. It corrupts. It has to be stopped or it will destroy the worshiper. It will. So the priorities of our heart need to be placed in proper order or they'll just finish us. We must come to God for his own sake. We must have regard for who he is and then he will grant his promises to us. And then Jesus says, he says, or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is just now providing rationale uh, for his instruction and the promise that's attached to it. So he's just saying that if a human parent who is utterly sinful by nature would honor his children's request by providing their most basic needs, he says, how much more will our Father in heaven do the same? He's speaking generally, you know, in spite of man's corrupt nature, <clears throat> he manages 
to nurture. He manages to do that. And of course, we know that scripturally he does that because the image of God in him has not been completely erased by sin. But if a corrupt man would do this for his kids, and certainly the God of love, the creator, would do this for his, his children. Because that's true, Jesus is communicating that we should have great hope when we pray. But as I said at the beginning, we're looking for, in hermeneutics we call it, the ethereal principle. Is We don't want to put meaning into the text, our meaning. We want to pull out the author's meaning. And as we do that with the biblical text, as it is one text, we have to bring in everything else so that we're consistent with the whole of God's revelation. So I want to talk about a few other things in this regard. Have you guys noticed that we live in a consumer culture where it's more blessed to be served than to serve? It's more blessed to receive than give? That's the culture that we live in. And uh, that's a problem when we come to the culture of the Bible. Throughout the scriptures, the instruction given when it comes to you know, making our request known to God, it always has to do with man's physical needs and our spiritual needs. What's the key word in there? Needs. Needs. When I use the word need, I don't mean to, to use it as we you know, throw it around in our language today as if it applies to everything that I want. Okay? And you know, your children often come to you and say, I need, and when they tell you what they need, you're like, well, let's be rational because that's not actually something that you need. That's something that you want, okay? And you want me to secure that for you. But <clears throat> probably in their ultimate wisdom, they use the word need manipulatively. I need this. And then it's, it's accompanied by drama. <laughs> it's crazy. By needs, of course, I mean the necessities for life and the necessities for godliness. These are the things that God promises to supply. And our needs by the way, are not a very long list. How many of you would be okay with Paul's list of needs? Food and clothing. Well, you're thinking, well, designer clothing. Okay with that. <laughs> he says, with these we shall be content. Now, of course, in some climates, uh, you know, more is required for our necessities. And God's grace, obviously, at times, far exceeds our basic necessities. But these are the only things that God has bound himself to by promise, by promise. And so Jesus' words should not be treated like some kids treat their grandparents in a toy store, okay? And we shouldn't treat God like some handle a credit card when they're on Amazon Prime, okay? That's just not how this works. If we approach Jesus' words here with the mindset of Western consumerism, we need to brace ourselves for disappointment, okay? That's, he's just not into it. We're into it, but he's not, okay? Jesus wasn't teaching that we should bring the desires of our flesh to him for him to satisfy in some kind of free-for-all. But that's how God is treated. And people are very disappointed with God when they don't get what they want. And of course, there's those groups that come in and say, well, the real problem is, is you just don't have enough faith. And then that destroys people's faith. Yeah. But if this consumer mentality, if that's what Jesus meant, it would make him just as materialistic and shallow as we are. If he succumbed to that, if he gave in to that, but he won't. That would just make him a fool. But when we look at the life of Jesus, he didn't behave this way with his father when he prayed, and he didn't ask for selfish things, and he's never going to instruct us to, never. You know, you look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, 
he enjoyed fewer luxuries than the birds and the foxes. They at least had nests and dens to sleep in. But Jesus had no place to lay his head. He was indeed content with food and clothing. Content. The crazy thing is, we live far better than he did. I think people in our culture could certainly benefit from having a little less. Sadly, when we read passages like Matthew, Matthew 7, it is our flesh that immediately takes over. But I think we have to ask, what was Jesus thinking of when he gave these instructions, when he made this promise? You know, Luke eleven thirteen 13 actually provides additional context concerning the nature of what Jesus had in mind here. While giving similar instruction to another audience, he said, <clears throat> if you then being evil, don't you love how he slips that in there? Remember in John, it says that when Jesus began his ministry and began to minister to people, it says that he knew what was in man. He knew what was in man. We're pretty messy. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I guarantee the majority of all people, when they read the same instruction in Matthew, weren't thinking, I'm in, it's the Holy Spirit. I need to ask for the Holy Spirit. That's what I really need. No, most people, especially in Western culture, their mind wanders off into all kinds of material possessions. But Jesus had something in mind. Yeah. Speaking of our need for the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> who is granted to those who ask for him. And the beauty is, as we know from the scriptures, God doesn't withhold his spirit from those who diligently seek him because we need the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life and it's God's will that we live the Christian faith. We need him, God wants us to have him, okay? The Holy Spirit, uh, some people, of course, would ask for the Holy Spirit for their own benefit. He certainly benefits us. Uh, The person that comes to mind is Simon the sorcerer, right? He saw the benefits of the Holy Spirit, and instead of seeing that for the glory of God and for the good of people, he saw dollar signs. Little different scenario. So Peter said, what did he say to him? Your money perish with you. Go die with your money, okay? God doesn't honor that. Okay. But while the Holy Spirit benefits us, his, his presence in us, his giftings for us, Paul makes it very clear that it's for the edification of everyone else. It's for the benefit of all. And of course, he is the one that makes our lives useful for the glory of God. That's just not what most people think when they think of God saying, ask whatever you want. We think of other things. If I sat the average person down and told them, look, if you just persistently ask God, He will grant whatever you want. It says right here in Matthew 7. The average person in America would say, I, me, and my, wouldn't they? Yeah. I want the house I want, in the location I want it, the car I want, the job I want, working at home, of course, the salary I want, and a partner who is good for me because it's all about me. But when Jesus thinks of the best thing for us to ask the Father for, he says the best thing for you is the Holy Spirit. He will be the best thing for you. And not only will he, not for all of those other reasons, but as Romans chapter eight says, he'll help you pray properly. He'll help you pray properly. Jesus had something different in mind. We need our priorities to fall in step with his. Those are, that's our spiritual need. This doesn't preclude our physical needs. In the context of supplying our material needs, Paul says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So God has 
he has obligated himself to us in regard to spiritual and physical needs. Of course, it's not a blank check to fill out however we want. He's too wise for that. He knows the human heart. He knows what we need best. He may grant above and beyond what we need. He often does. But again, he's not obligated to do that. In his love, he will withhold so many things. I think that God oftentimes is just waiting for us to grow up, waiting for us to grow up. Another fact that we should consider when approaching God with our requests is that God does only grant things that are aligned with his will. Uh, The Apostle John wrote this. He said, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. God will do all things according to his will. Uh, I think in a lot of people's immaturity, they don't understand that there's, there's just no amount of asking, no amount of uh, manipulating or persuading that will get God to act contrary to his will. You can beg and plead and do all of that all you want, and God is going to deny it. But when we examine his word, where we discover his written will for our physical and spiritual needs, then we can be confident that God will grant those things to us through our diligent pursuit of him. So people say, I just, I want to know God's will. And I go, well, do you know his written will? What do you mean? Well, I mean Genesis to Revelation. Are you familiar with his written will? Because the more familiar you are with his written will, the less you'll just always be praying for what his will is. You just know. God wants us to go to his word. That's where he introduces himself to us. There's no substitute for it. Let me close with some final thoughts when it comes to prayer and petition. When we ask, we should also ask things that are consistent with God's character, and we should ask with the right motive, aligned with his character and with a proper motive. If we fly blindly in prayer without knowing the character of God, another thing that is discovered in his word we will likely ask him for things that do not honor his character. We will. Um, We shouldn't ask God to help us avoid accountability for our actions or our responsibilities, as that would be contrary to his character. Uh, I've told the story before of someone I knew who had, and they came to me with all this as a praise report. Um, People are so strange. They damaged their rental car. It was their fault. And then they prayed that God would conceal it from the rental service. Maybe they told this to me at the time because I was really young and I was just a youth pastor and they thought, well, this would be great. So I had to confront them about this. But you know, instead of showing integrity and, well, and by the way, the rental car company didn't see it. And so they were praising God for it. But really, instead of showing Christian integrity and revealing the damage and hoping that the rental service might show mercy, or that God would help them with the money to pay for the damages, they concealed what they were responsible for. Mind you, the person that did this was an Amoco engineer. It was pocket change for him to fix this small amount of damage on this car. It's crazy. You know, David, for example, he knew better. I mean, David was very familiar with God's word knowing God's will, knowing God's character. And so he knew better than to ask God to give him Bathsheba as a wife because she was the wife of another. And that would be asking God to do something contrary to his character, his word and his will. 
So David just used his position as king to secure what he wanted. Some of you are thinking, Pastor Ben, that's not a good example. Well, sure it is. Because people ask God to give them someone else's spouses all the time. And when they secure that person for themselves, they say, look how God has blessed me. That's insanity. Okay, that's crazy. Totally contrary to his character. He didn't do that. You just did something like David did. Just because you get what you want doesn't mean God gave it to you. You have to consider how you acquired it. You have to consider it in relationship to God's nature. He will never compromise his moral virtues. Also, when we ask, we should check our motive. We should, ask, we should be asking for, well, let me say this. We can ask for something that's good in itself, like Simon asking for the Holy Spirit. But if our motive for desiring that thing is askew, God is not obligated to give that. James comments on this whole thing saying, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You ask amiss. Now, he doesn't say that the thing that you've asked for is bad. You've just asked for the wrong reasons. You don't have the glory of God in mind. You don't have the good of people on your heart. You have yourself on your mind. It's all about you. Yeah. If it's motivated by selfish desire, personal pleasure, um, the Holy Spirit's going to red flag it. And as Romans 8 says, that's just not going to go to the Father. So I would tell you, don't waste your time. Don't waste his time. Check your motive and bring to God what is honorable. Amen? So in this whole context of seeking God in prayer, I think it's so important that when you go to prayer, make it as intimate, make it as relational as possible. God is seeking relationship with you. You should be seeking relationship with him. When you go and check your motive at the door, when you enter into that, be considering God's will, be considering God's character. But I've found that the more that I just go and enjoy God, that the asking in petition is kind of a, it's, it's really not that much part of my prayers or my time in fellowship with the Lord. It comes up, but it's not that important. And, and because I know that in, in this context, I'm in God's will, I know he's gonna grant it to me. Hasn't he promised it? He's promised it to me, but he, he just wants me. And so I can go to him, I can fellowship with him, and just enjoy that. And lo and behold, I find out, man, God has been so faithful, right? So let's go ahead and stand up, we'll pray. I'm letting you out a little early, but I've gone over the last two weeks like 10 minutes. So I'm going to make up for my it's penance is what it is. So, well, the time that we have remaining, please, um, yeah, I know. I'm not, I haven't forgotten about you. Use it wisely in fellowship. Pray with people. Encourage one another. And um, yeah, let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for your instruction. Lord, you're the one that said it. You said, if you being evil, Lord, that's a reality that we have to deal with in the context of our prayers, that we can bring that into that whole context. It contaminates our motives. It contaminates our desires. And we need to be mindful of it. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be students of your word, that we could, we could know what your heart is. We could discover what your will is we would be informed about the things that bless you. And the Lord, that we would check our evil at the door, as it were, and we would go into this whole thing, this intimacy with you, in a way that blesses you. Lord, we know that you will bless us. 
That's, that's your heart toward us. Lord, help us to bring that, to reciprocate that to you. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.